Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about building great startups in sunny West Australia with the people who've been there and done it or live here and are doing it. My name is Charlie Gunningham. And my name is Beth Cornelia. And today we are talking with the wonderful Claire McGregor, the co-founder of the wildly successful local startup, AppBot. She is amazing. She really she? is. And she gives some great advice for those people working on a startup. And she really has been there and done it. All over the world as and well. And doing it right now. So we'd like to thank uh, Claire, of course, for being on the pod. And you, Beth, and the good people at Alika, thanks thank for you, hosting Charlie. the series and providing all the audio and tech expertise like you do. No problem at all. We would also like to thank uh, our startup news sponsors, ECU The Link, ThinkLab Coworking, and BDO Accounting and Finance. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Absolutely. And uh, introduce Claire to the fold. Welcome, Claire. Thank you so, so much for being here. And welcome, Charlie. Of hey, course. Beth. How are you? Good. Hey, Claire. We just got to check Claire's here. Hi, I am genuinely here. Claire yes. is here. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. We've got it. So for, for those listeners that who potentially are listening to this who aren't from Perth uh, or who don't know you, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you came to Perth and how you got involved in the local startup scene? Sure. Um, well, I was originally a veterinary surgeon, so I studied here and then practiced here for a few years. Um, and I realised about three weeks after graduation that that probably wasn't the <laughs> career for me. Great time so to realise. that was maybe not the best moment to have that epiphany. Right. Um, but I persisted with it for about five years in practice oh, and wow. I worked um, in one practice here and then a lot of practices all over the UK. Um, and after about 30 different clinics, I kind of concluded that it wasn't the clinic that I didn't wow. like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually really just genuinely the job. Probably the so whole industry. Just the whole, yeah, the whole thing. Just you wasn't gave really it a good crack, though. I really did give it a good crack. Um, you from Perth originally? You yeah, born yeah. And yeah I, I grew up here and went to school here and, and Murdoch University for my right. veterinary degree. Okay. Um, yeah, I went to the UK really just to do some travel and whatnot. And so I was locuming while I was over there um, for the first two and a half years. And at that point, I'd been practicing five years, still hated it, and thought, right, I've got to do something else. So I took a year off, and then I went back to London after 12 months and kind of thought, right, okay, well, now I have to find something else to do. Uh-huh. And um, didn't really have any clue so about what, year what are we that at? might be. So this is 2007. Right, about two yeah, years ago. Yeah, so. yeah, so beginning of 2008. So the GFC had just happened. Ah. And that had happened while I was, like, off on a ski slope somewhere. So nice. I really wasn't very cognizant of what was going on <laughs> yeah. in the broader world. Anyway, I got back to London. Jobs were hard to find. Um, I kind of resigned myself to possibly going and working in Starbucks or something. I just definitely didn't want to be a vet. Right. I was really prepared to do anything other than that. Um, and then through a bizarre set of coincidences, got introduced to a vet tech startup in the UK. So it was a, an online veterinary pharmacy. Um, uh, by no means the first of its kind. We were the 42nd entrant into right. that market in an 18-month period. Wow. So right. all these companies had come up because there'd been this regulatory change in the UK. Um, so, you know, we were kind of late to the party. But um, fortunately for me, that company was the only company in that space that had managed to raise some capital. Uh-huh. Um, and that gave us this huge advantage over all of those other competitors who were, you know, not yeah. that far ahead of us. Um, anyway, so, so I joined called medicanimal.com. Medicanimal.com. Um, Sounds like one of those old-style dot-coms from the late yeah, 90s, but we're yeah. talking 2008. Yeah, we're talking 2008. Uh, as I said, late to the party, domains were hard to come right. by. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah right. I was there, I think their third hire, and um, 
on my first day there, they made £94 in revenue and I remember being Woo-hoo. just genuinely terrified that I was never going to be able to buy shoes again. Right. <laughs> um, I've taken this huge pay cut. But anyway, um, I joined actually as, as a vet. They needed a vet for compliance purposes. Uh. But then I made it very clear early on I wanted to not be a vet. So I right. sidestepped into marketing and product and a couple of years later we'd raised, um, we'd raised our first big round. So we raised a million pound seed and then a five million pound Series A um, and at that point, I became their marketing and product wow. director. So, so interrupt, but how could you work in London? You're Aussie. Did you have? I just had a, um, working a working visa holiday or? visa for the first couple of and years. And you could extend that. And, well, I they extended that. Or? Then, um, then I got sponsored for a little while, right. and then um, my partner at the time had an ancestral visa. So then I was able uh-huh. to get a partner visa via gotcha. him. Yeah. So what was the upshot of that business? So the upshot of that business, um, so I was there from very early until um, they got to about £25 million a year run rate when I left and we'd acquired three of the next largest competitors in size. So that was all really All private or public? All private, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so that was really interesting. I didn't know what what due diligence actually was before I started that job. So I learned all of these things that I just had no exposure to. Um, and you were in marketing, so it was all because was, of you was, that it went to twenty-five million from nine from yes, ninety-four pounds. I was responsible for the revenue line on the PL. <laughs> <Very good. laughs> um, well done. Yeah, so that was kind of fun. Um, yeah, but then my my dad wasn't well, so I came back to Perth, sort of um, right. bit of a quick decision. And when I got back here, I honestly sort of despaired for a little bit because there wasn't much digital stuff going on in yeah. Perth at that point. So now we're at twenty eleven, mm-hmm. right? Uh, late late twenty eleven. Um, yeah, and so I did a bunch of random things. I went and worked for L'Oreal Australia for a little while, um, helping them launch digital products and promptly decided that the corporate life was not the life for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I um, then I started doing a bunch of consulting stuff and sort of stumbled across Founder Institute as right. an opportunity um, via Dash, who you might recall. Yeah, that's where I remember meeting you in 2013, yeah. the first Founder Institute. Yeah. yeah, so Dash was a Malaysian fellow who was based here in Perth for um, a few years. He's gone back to Malaysia since, um, but he had this idea to bring Founder Institute, which is a yeah. uh, global tech accelerator to Perth, and he, he needed a co-founder. The model kind of requires two people to run it, right. um, and so he asked me if I was interested in doing it, and that's kind of how and I Founder got Institute involved continues in to this day, system. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think five it's, years. it's still going. I'm, I, I haven't heard of a cohort running this year, but I've right. been very distant from the startup space, so that might just be me not. And you were in attention. it for three <laughs> years, I think. Um, I, no, I only did the first two years. Did you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was very, it was a very um, intense process. It is intense. Getting it FI. off the ground, yeah. But um, FI itself is intense, FI, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Um, but you know, at that point, there weren't. Um, any other tech accelerators, and now there's lots. So yeah. at that point in time, it was even just kind of teaching people what that what that was, you know. And, yes. but that um, was the year before SpaceCube had would have even opened. That was oh no, it was just we, opened. It was like right, right at, at the same yeah. time. Yeah, right, okay. yeah. So um, the the way that I met Brody, um, and sort of that ended up being how we facilitated using SpaceCube for Founder Ooh. Institute, um, was that we were both on the organising committee for the first right. startup weekend. Right. Yeah, so I met. I remember that September 2012. Yeah, so yeah. I met Brody through that, and then um, we we started Founder Institute like two weeks later because that's also where I met Dash. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there you go. Tiny All connections. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And we heard from Brody in episode one, which is a nice tie over to this one. So FI for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you doing during? Because this is before AppBot. App, we'll get to yeah. AppBot story. Yeah, yeah. Now, but but during those two years, you weren't just so, doing FI because that's not a 
No, because that pay doesn't, doesn't pay money <laughs> <laughs> and allow you to survive and buy shoes. Yes, right. um, so shoes are important. Shoes are key. They're very important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, during that time, mostly I was working for AgWorld, which is a um, an ag tech company that yeah. started here in Perth. They now have, um, I think, the I'm not sure if it's most of their operations, but they still have a Perth office. They mm. also have a big operation in the US. Um, and yeah. uh, that's that's one of Matt's investee. Yeah, they, they were, were mentioned in, in episode one also. They were, yes. and they were inducted into the Hall of Fame last Friday. Yeah, at the, the Waiter Award. Award. At the yeah. Ice, yeah. Ice, 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 Inside Awards. <laughs> yeah, right. so I was their um, head of marketing for a little while. Oh, right. mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was, that was my first exposure to software as a service. So predominantly my experience had really been in e-commerce and a bit of mobile app stuff in between Medic Animal and AgWorld. Right. Um, but then AgWorld was software as a service. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where I got my first exposure to things like SaaS pricing models and, um, yeah. you know, free trial versus freemium and all those sorts of like SaaS yeah. things that have become part of the common vernacular now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and then I wanted to start something for myself um i actually had lots of clients that wanted me to go back to consulting and that's kind yes. of what prompted me to leave ag world yes um so you did two years of fi you've done two years at ag world yeah roughly yep. person, and you're going i want to do my own startup yeah the well, scene just, here is big enough i can get some yeah, money i i didn't really have um like a strong inclination to do my own startup per se right. but i did want to go back to working for myself so i was right. very clear about that and then Sort of around the time that I was making the call about leaving AgWorld, um, I got introduced to Stuart Hall, my co-founder at AppBot, and uh, I guess just like the stars kind of aligned. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was a product I was really interested in because obviously I'm, you know, digital marketing, so a bit of an analytics nerd. Yeah. Um, and AppBot's essentially an analytics tool. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what was Stuart doing? Because I mean, he, he'd come out of Discover. He, he's a bit of a rock star um, tech wise in this town. Yeah, so he. How come he was available? And was Appbot his idea, your idea? No, or no, it just... was his idea. So Stu actually started Appbot as a side project mm-hmm. when uh-huh. he was at Filter Squad. So right. building the Discover apps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because those apps had huge numbers of downloads, they were getting hundreds of reviews, and the reviews were spread across 130 different countries of the. Apple App Store, right. which meant if he wanted to read the reviews, he had to literally hit 130 web pages to just them. <laughs> get himself a list of stuff yeah, to read. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So just that was painful and difficult. Um, and so that's the that was the genesis of AppBot. So he right. originally just built it as a little tool that would go out and scrape the, the reviews from all of those 130 pages and put them in a nice email and send it to him once a day. Just make it easier for himself. Yeah, it was literally just for himself. It was running on his local machine. And wow. then um, people that he knew uh, directly in his own office wanted to use it, so he set it up for them. And then mm. I think he tweeted about it or, you know, I love other those people. stories. Yeah. When someone sees a need, solves it, and then that's how Sector started, right? Yeah. yeah. They were yeah. like, Grant was at school and going, the educational software is rubbish, I'm going to create my own. And then other schools, can I, can I have that software, please? <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly yeah. you've got a business. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and that's literally what happened. Other people just kind of went, oh, that sounds cool. Can I get access to that? So he decided to just make it available as a free tool. And I was actually using it at AgWorld. So, wow. um, 
and I, I knew that. And this you were told, you're not you're not charging anyone for this. Yeah, yeah. So I knew that he was the builder of it. I knew mm. he was a local guy, and we'd kind of uh, met each other at I don't know some random startup event somewhere, maybe startup weekend or something. Mm. Yeah. So I knew who he was, and I think he knew who I was, and we kind of waved at each other. In fact, he <laughs> joked that I'm very scruffy, which you know obviously doesn't translate on a podcast. But I'm a very scruffy human, you, and um, you're not looking very scruffy. No. And Stu loves to joke that he thought of me as the girl from Founder Institute that wears the really big heels. I don't think I've worn a pair of heels like other than that wedding where I first met you. Yes, Beth, yes. Um, in probably the last two years. So right. there we go. But so anyway, that was that, his so, memory. Yeah, so we really didn't know each other very well at all. But we um, we just got together because um, he'd kind of heard that I was thinking about leaving AgWorld and yep. he he wanted to have a crack at commercialising AppBot, right. but he hadn't done any um, software as a service before. Yeah. And um, so Matt actually suggested that we yeah. meet each other. And in a way, it's perfect because you're the sort of business marketing brain. I'm not saying you haven't got a tech brain, but he's the tech person. He's a mm. programmer. He's a developer. Right? Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the perfect match, yeah. you want you want that sort of co-founder balance, balance, balance. don't you, in, yeah. at the beginning? I think, well, I think it definitely helps. Um, and also just, you know, in the early stages when there's only two of you, mm. you, really, you really want to be in a situation where you – you're not treading on each other's toes. You know, yeah. you don't both want to work on the same thing all the time. Like yeah. my interests were over here on the marketing and the commercial end and Stu's interests were in solving all the product problems. And there was, you know, not a huge overlap on the Venn diagram. And so it mm. meant that our output was like we, we were able to deliver a lot of stuff quickly because yep. we were working pretty independently of one another. Mm. Yep. Um, but, you know, in a kind of very complimentary So when was the beginning? Way. Now about 2015? Was so that, that when was, you formally um, started? We started it, um, I think we first met in August 2014 and we incorporated AppBot in October 2014, so about eight weeks later. Oh, pretty quick. Yep, yep. So uh, we drew our first subscription models on the back of a Zambrero's napkin. And um, (laughs) and I I hope they use your tool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Stu said, I'll I'll go home and build these. And I didn't realise he meant like, I'll do it today and I'll send, I'll ship it this afternoon. But that's what he meant. Uh, Now I know Stu a bit better. I should have been expecting that. Um, So, and a a bunch of people signed up. So there was enough interest in it that we then kind of went, okay, well, this looks like maybe it's got some legs. Let's have a, let's just work together a bit. He'd been giving it to friends. Yeah. Like you at Agworld. Well, well, friends, but also sort of 30,000 other people who were using it. So he got to 30,000 before. So there were 30,000 apps that were being monitored. I forget the count of users because obviously each user was tracking more than one. But, um, yeah, there were 30,000 apps roughly that were using the tool at that point. Right. So we already had this quite decent-sized database to market the paid version to. Mm -hmm. Right. And also Stu had a lot of inbound feedback about, oh, it would be good if it did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Right. So he had a pretty clear roadmap about if I was to make this into a paid service, you know, these are the things that people might potentially want to pay, pay for. for. Right. So we started with those things and then, of course, when we shipped them, people did pay for them. Um, you know, and we're still talking, mm. it's a small start, right, but there was enough interest that we kind of went, right, okay, well, this looks like it's got some legs. And then we just started to very proactively talk to the customers that were signing up as paid users and ask them, you know, okay, so if if it was to do something else for you, what would mm. that be? You know, what other value are you expecting that you're not getting and so yeah. forth? And that kind of led us down These are customers all around the world. Yeah. Right? Right yeah. from here in little old Perth. Yeah. Fact, customers probably don't even know you're in Perth. Yeah. I, I mean, a, a lot of our 
customers are surprised to hear that right. because our pricing's in US dollars and I think a right. lot of the time, because that's where the majority mm. of our customers are, yeah. so it just makes sense for us to bill in US dollars. But I think naturally that leads people to assume that we're based in the US. So your customers time, so. are app businesses? Uh, yeah, app like businesses. Like Uber and... Yeah, um, yeah. so like Twitter and Pinterest. Um, so, you know, lots of You've those... You've got them as clients. Yeah. That's enormous. Um, and then also um, companies like... A lot of the big retail banks around the world, like Deutsche Bank, use our service. Some of the Australian banks use it as well. A lot of American banks, um, quite a few UK high street banks too. Um, Automotive companies. So some of these are non-obvious to me at Mm. least. Um, But these are companies that have um, a lot of apps, so big portfolio. Um, As an example, BMW, they have, I don't know, like hundreds of apps. Um, And it's because many of their cars seem to have their own apps right right so these apps don't get a big volume of reviews but the portfolio of apps is so big that keeping track of their reviews is very hard right and so appbot makes it a bit easier for them to stay on top of what's going on and then also because a lot of um in situations like that where a company has a big portfolio oftentimes the apps are um only have very small differences from one to another so the feedback can kind of be Mm. applied Broadly across several. And the business model? So you said SaaS, a software as a service, so yeah, some sort of subscription. Yeah, subscription Is there a free based. version? There and... isn't. There was at the beginning. So mm. we had a freemium product for um, not long after I came along, actually, um, mostly because the product doesn't really lend itself to a freemium model. And I read something interesting yesterday, actually, about how freemium has become far less fashionable amongst SaaS companies than mm. it used to be. <laughs> but at that point, it was, it was kind of all the go. Um, and we did try it for a little while, but what we found was that the the friction that you create by having a free product is very difficult to overcome. Trying to move someone from zero to paying you one dollar is mm. a lot harder than moving someone from paying you fifty dollars to two hundred dollars. You know, mm. and that doesn't rationally make sense, mm. but it's just the psychology of just it. Just the psychology of it. it. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So, um, yeah. Basically, so, the lesson is there: get them paying something. Yeah. Is the answer. Yeah, yeah. And then you can start to ratchet that up yeah. because they can't do without you. <laughs> yeah, right? well, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're building something worthwhile, hopefully that's the so that's the end result. An idea of how many apps or businesses use you? Um, yeah, we, we don't tend to publicise okay. the numbers too much, but what I Generally. will say, um, yeah, what I will say is that we're kind of a, approaching around 1,000 customers now. Right. Wow. Um, yeah, and in terms of apps, honestly, I really couldn't so guess. So organisations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's customers and then apps are whatever that, they are. Yeah, well, each yeah, yeah. customer potentially has hundreds. You know, some wow. only have a few. Like when you look at companies like Twitter, they've only got two apps. Yeah. So, you know, very And they're big, all paying you something on a monthly or annual basis. Or annual basis, yeah. And how many staff do you have um, So we currently have six full-time, one part-time. Right. Yeah, we outsource some functions. So we outsource mm-hmm. our finance function mm-hmm. mostly. Right. Um, and so that kind of allows us to keep the team very small. It's really engineering and me. And wow. You and you're the marketing yeah. person and the rest is all tech. Yeah, yes. so That's really I did have a couple of um, team members until quite recently um, and they decided to move on to new things um, just because that was where their interests took them. Yeah. Um, and when each of them left, it kind of just led me to really question whether we needed humans to be doing a lot of the stuff that they were doing. So we've we've actually found that lots of those tasks could be done by software. So we've right. been right. building a lot of that stuff recently. So, Did so you actually of- have to get any funding at the beginning? Because it sounds like you were having revenues pretty quickly. You didn't need to go yeah. and seek startup funding. Well, we had, we had revenue. It was really tiny revenue. I, in fact, when we made our first hire, um, I think the conversation went something like, 
we can promise you absolutely zero job security. So you should think really hard about this since your wife's about to have a baby. <laughs> so, um, Startup 101. <laughs> yeah, and right. they joined? Yeah, yeah, he's still there. Cool. Yeah, yeah, he's oh, a rock beautiful. star. So that's um, Tris, who's our one of our lead developers. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so we had very small revenue to begin with. Um, we, we had a tiny bit of seed capital just invested by the founding team and that was it. We haven't raised any other money. So yeah. self-funded, yeah, basically. Yeah. Fantastic. So in terms of like the biggest learnings you guys have had along the way, oh, what God. would you say? <laughs> <laughs> okay, just this is meant to be a 20-minute podcast, right? <laughs> um, um, oh, look, greatest learnings. I think um, I keep learning this lesson over and over and over again and that is that um, most of the time startup founders tend to undervalue the products that they make and sell. So um, further to what you said a moment ago, Charlie, mm. yeah, definitely uh, charge something and yeah. probably right. charge more than you think is reasonable. Yep. It's probably completely reasonable. That's, yeah. um, that's a lesson. <laughs> You're I like, keep... who would pay for this? Oh, yeah, wait, heaps of people, right. it turns out. That's right. That's mm. a lesson I keep learning over and over and over again. And some people can, will pay quite a bit more than yeah. you think they might. I've yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah, I mean, that. the value of a tool to one company is not the same as that same tool's value to another company. So, yeah. um, you know, we, we have a number of enterprise-scale customers now that have yeah. got hundreds of people that are using the software and... Um, yeah, I think I, I've learned a lot about enterprise uh, sales and enterprise pricing in the last couple of years, and um, it, it's amazing how different the value equation is when you start talking to those really mm. big players. And where are you located? Because I know you were down at a co-working space, but I think you've, yeah. you've outgrown that. Yeah. You've moved out. Yeah, we, we got West our own Perth. office in West Perth about um, nearly two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're a pretty introverted bunch, so it sort of suits <laughs> us to be kind of <laughs> hiding away there. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Oh my yeah. Gosh. So, um, you know, and the team's, the team's fairly small. We actually work as a distributed team two days a week. So um, two days is something we've recently introduced. We've always had one day a week where you could optionally work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of our team, bar one, um, participate in, in that work from home two days a week. So Stu and I go in yep. uh, and it's kind of the day, the days where Stu and I get to just like, you know, draw stuff on a whiteboard or, mm. you know, chat about stuff because the, the rest of the team um, isn't around and needing us for anything. So yeah, it kind of works really, really nicely for us. And we use Slack for communication on those days. And yeah, yeah I mean, it's not perfect, but it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. good. Perfect. Yeah. So what kind of advice would you give to people that are that it, or, or that you've been given that you think is the best for startup founders to know, given that you've you've gone through this kind of process and, and you've got a team that's quite, you know, well well formed and functioning now, what would you say to other people in that um, position? I think probably the main thing that I would say is um, particularly for people who want to be a founder, look for someone with skills that are really complementary to yours. Mm-hmm. Um, often I seem to find myself chatting to teams of founders where they've come together because they're all domain experts on a particular thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, it's just really challenging because actually they need really different skills to get the business off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them really wants to compromise on the amount of equity they have so that they can bring other people in to help them with that. Mm-hmm. And it creates a really challenging dynamic, I think. So that's probably probably the, yeah. the most important thing. I think choose the other the people thing you is work with. choose the people yeah. you work with really carefully. Like we, um, you know, we've been lucky. We've had great hires, you know, including the two people that have recently left out, but, you know, mm. they're, they're both missed. Um, we've, we've been really lucky. Our teams, we quite enjoy each other's company. We have a good yeah. time at work, um, but we kind of road test people pretty um 
pretty seriously before right. they become a right. permanent part of the Stringent team. Stringent recruitment processes? Well, not really so much recruitment, just like we bring them in and do a half-day work trial and we, right. we all go out for lunch on that day. Right. We, yep. we just kind of see if everything gels. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Stu and I did yeah. a lot of that at the beginning before we decided to start this company yeah, together. Yeah. Um, with each other. Yeah, like right. we, we yeah. worked. Did you um, like each other? <laughs> yeah. Actually, could yeah, you that's actually right. be friends? That was kind yeah. of the point, right? Like yeah. did we actually enjoy each other's company yeah. and did we get along and yeah. if we had a conflict, could we resolve it without, you know, ripping each other's heads off? Yes. Um, and I think all of those things are important to explore so before in, you. in the last seven years you've gone from, you know, Agworld, FI, now AppBot. Yeah. What, what have seen in some of the changes you've seen in the WA startup scene? Is it sort of getting better is it it's, oh, yeah, it's still a little bit behind other centers or um no i think it's changed really dramatically i mean when i first moved back here in 2011 there was just hardly anything yeah. so i originally um got introduced to the what became the startup community through um e-group via marcus tan who was yep. at one of those meetings and then i went along to the silicon beach and then mm-hmm. uh, you know joined the dots from there i guess but at that point you know there hadn't been a startup weekend there were no accelerators and now there's a you know a wide array of choice of different accelerators people can participate in i think there's a lot more support for startups than there has been you know the plus eight yeah. um, murrow yeah. d accelerator uh, right. has output some companies that are already doing yeah. great things yeah. so i think that's very encouraging to see i think um you know, we're, we're still not at the point where we've got people coming home after they've gone away and had their yeah. big successes. Yeah. And I do think that that will kind of create another inflection point in the maturity yes. of the of the community. When yeah. The, when the canvas and the humtechs yeah. come back to they Perth, come back we'll to go, Perth. yeah, that's right. Exactly. You're based here and you're basically of the future, as far as you can tell, you can build your unicorn from, from West Perth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we kind of did it that way by design. Stu and yeah. I both want to live here. So yes. um, that's... And you've I, done your bit abroad, I suppose. I have, yeah, home. definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't have any, um, like, fervent desire to go and live overseas again <laughs> after seven years. I think that was, that was probably long enough. Um, but, yeah, I, I think when people start returning to the fold after having gone away and had those... Bringing that experience Big experiences, back. that's mm. right. I, yeah. think, I think that's the point where there's a lot of new knowledge and exciting stuff, um, you know, exciting yeah. information being injected into the community that kind of allows it to grow further. And that's what you did. You know, yeah, so, so I that's, so. I think that's, but I, I, so. think that I left a as a vet sense. and I came back as a Ex- tech founder. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that's, I think that's really perfect for, that's a, that's a great full circle and, and a great kind of. It's fantastic. You know, yeah. Well, congrats on AppBot. I mean, we're just going to keep an eye on it. We're going to finish with a few rapid fire questions. We are. That oh, we gosh. Hit we are. everyone with. Ready? It's all right. You ready? Just one or two announcers. No, don't right. think about it. Uh, <laughs> so what is the single most important factor that makes a successful startup team? Oh, that that's keeps rapid. coming up. That's very rapid. Go, Do Charlie. you believe in outsourcing or insourcing? Both. Okay, depending on where you you're do at. both. Yeah. Great. Should uh, startups self fund or raise money? Mm, depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, very, no, very uh, good depends answer. I think it depends on where you're at and what you want. I guess it depends on what you want. Exactly. Mm. There, you know, there's no right way or wrong way to do it. Um, Stu and I both decided that we really wanted to bootstrap a business that was kind of a goal of ours to do it ourselves and grow from revenues and so um it's not for everybody though you know there are definitely there are definitely companies where raising money is absolutely the right thing that they should be doing Mm -hmm. right at the beginning so i think it really just depends on your situation for sure pc or mac oh mac (laughs) yes i am so with you there uh what podcast do you listen to um, my favourite podcast is How I Built This. Uh, <laughs> you guys Raz. know that one? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I Both love that. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're, exactly. we're pitching this one to be a similar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. There we know. go. Good. So that's if we can get there, that's what we'll we're be happy. For. Yeah, for sure. Oh, thanks, Claire, and and thanks for everyone listening. Don't forget to give Startup West Pod a nice review, and that always helps people find us. And do subscribe so you'll get this podcast in your next feed. Absolutely, and we have to, of course, thank our sponsors. Uh, so it is brought to you by this podcast is brought to you by the fine people at Alika, ECU, the Link, Think Lab, Coworking, and BDO. So thank you to all those guys, and thank you to you, Claire, for Thanks, coming Claire. along. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me. No Say hi problem. to Stuart and the team. <laughs> Thanks so much. Until next time, guys. <laughs>